The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Amen. How's everybody doing? Y'all good? Everybody awake? Anybody want this candy? <laughs> Take it out or else I'll spit it on somebody. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That is, uh, it's going to be towards the back of your Bible. And um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now this weekend, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I think by now you know the focus for our teaching is purity and relationships. So with that comes, uh, and not just purity and relationships, but how you view sexuality. Hold on, I got a call. Uh, the reason it's so important, is, I mean, there's a lot of reasons it's important. The first one's because it's, it's a big part of what God's plan and design for people is. But the other reason it's really critical is because in y'all's, like in y'all's day, in your generation, the way God designed men and women and sex and sexuality and relationships and all of that it's under major attack right so y'all have just lived through your your formative years here as teenagers have been during what's been called a sexual revolution have you ever heard those words sexual revolution and all that means like a revolution means there's a change in power there's a change in the way things are done there's a change in what's accepted so like uh, the way that society views sexuality, what people will accept as okay, uh, that has shifted big time in, just in y'all's lifetime, okay, just in y'all's lifetime. What we were talking, <clears throat> we're talking today, one of the reasons it was, I think it was so, hey, mama, you looking for the kids? They're uh, in the, in, in downstairs in the, uh, Moe's down there, dirty, nasty, nappy, needs a shower, in the middle room down there, and Izzy's with him, all right. So, um, <laughs> little family business there uh welcome into our living room right um so um what was i saying a change okay so yes thank you so like revolution is a shift in power shift in the way we do things and so with that oh today uh, i was talking to kilby that uh you ladies that was my daughter that that shared with y'all and uh and she's just 18 and we were talking about how uh she'll be 19 in may and we're talking about how when she was 11 and she was being introduced to things through like a, a cell phone or a grandmother's uh, tablet, you know, like over at grandma's house or a friend's uh, device, phone, something like that, uh, that things were happening through like uh, Instagram and Snapchat and some of the social media venues that y'all have that, that not, it's not just that my generation didn't have it. It's that people who are now 22 years old didn't have when they were your age. You understand what I'm saying? It's a very short time period. So the things that you encounter on a daily basis, seven and eight years ago, people didn't have to deal with. So like when I was growing up, people would say, oh, back when I was a kid, and they were talking about like 30 years ago, okay? When we, now when we talk about what you're having to face as teenagers, we're talking about you're facing some things that weren't a reality three years ago. 
That's a big deal. That means life is coming at you fast. Society is changing the rules of the game. Sexuality has been defined and redefined and re-redefined and re-re-re-redefined. And people are trying to just make up the rules as they go. The problem is, it's like nothing that man ever devises and designs works or lasts. The only things that last and are unchanging are things that are designed by God, put in place by God, because God in his nature is unchanging. The Bible says God cannot change. He does not change. And it also says he's perfectly good. So since he's good, we don't want him to change, do we? If he, was, if he could change and he's perfect and good, there's only one direction he could change in, right? The wrong direction. He could become bad or evil or wicked. So God is perfect. He's good. He's just. He's loving. He loves you. He loves me. And we don't want that to change. And so God has put sex in place for specific reasons, several specific reasons. And so we're going to dive into some of that tonight. And we're going to try to unpack the world's lies and unpack the, like, like the truth of Scripture and let, y'all know that game Pac-Man? Do y'all know that? You, you, I mean, I know you're young, but stuff cycles back around. Let pack, like the truth of Scripture is like the Pac-Man, and the world's lies are like the little power dots. and just whoop, just chomps it right up, okay? So we're going to unleash the truth of Scripture, and tonight I'm praying, and I've prayed for you that it will consume the lies that you've been told and shine light. I'm praying that tonight the light of the gospel and the Lion of Judah will pillage the darkness you've been shoved into in this society and rob the darkness of its power, push the darkness back, shine light into your life, and from this day forward, you will live in the light of the truth of God's Word. That's what I believe is going to happen, okay? And so we're going to a very sexual passage in Scripture. A very sexual passage, y'all. The Bible talks about sex a whole bunch. And when I was growing up, I didn't talk about sex in the church, except say, don't do it. That's about it. Don't do sex. So then you just figure out, well, what can I do? And she would kind of create this system of things. The Bible talks about sex a whole lot. So it's important for us to understand what the Bible says about sex. And anytime that you see a society or a culture or like a world power crumble and decay, it's always surrounding sexual immorality. So sex done outside of God's plan weakens relationships, weakens, weakens families, weakens people's faith, weakens whole societies, and weakens the church. And so we want to get this right, and we want to get it right on God's terms. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now we're going to start in verse 12 and read through verse 20, and then we're just going to unpack it. I'm going to give you three truths, three big truths out of this text. Now what we do here at Snowbird is we take a passage of Scripture, we read the Bible, and then we say, okay, we, the way we approach scriptures, we say God's word is from God. And so it has complete power and authority for our lives. So we want to take the passage and say, what does this mean? And then what does it mean for me specifically? Okay, so that's what we're going to do tonight. We'll give you three things. All right, here we go. First Corinthians 6 verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. 
Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is God's word. Let's ask him to bless it. Lord, I pray you bless the reading of your word, the hearing of your word. Give ears to our hearts that we would hear it and then give a willingness to receive it and submit to it. I pray for young people here right now that are living in sexual sin, uh, addiction to pornography. I pray for, for, for staff members, leaders, men, women, moms, dads. God, we all need this. We are sexually driven people created by you in that way for a purpose so that in the confines of biblical marriage, sex can be a beautiful and powerful thing that we get to enjoy and experience, but that Satan wants so badly to tarnish and disrupt so that he might rob you of your glory in our eyes and rob us of our joy in your eyes. I pray that we wouldn't believe his lies tonight. So give us truth from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, heavy topic, huh? Y'all feel like you need a break already? <laughs> uh, it's a heavy topic, uh, but it's very important. So in this passage, uh, I'll give you a little background. Apostle, uh, my name's Brody. I'm camp pastor here, and I was not with you last night. Spencer was here, and I'm excited that you got to hear from him. I'm real excited to be here tonight. So by way of introduction, my name is Brody. Um, so this letter is called 1 Corinthians, and it's because it was written to a group of people in a city called Corinth. Okay, a city called Corinth. There, there's actually some cities in America called Corinth. I know there's one in Mississippi, and I think there's a couple other states. But it, this was a city in the Roman Empire, and it was called Corinth. And here's what we know about Corinth. It was a really big city. So think of our larger cities, our really big cities. So some fast facts on Corinth is that it was really big. It was an international city. So you had people coming from different places flowing through there. And anytime you have a big international city, so like even today, like an international seaport, you have a lot of sexual trafficking. You have a lot of prostitution. You have a lot of like a sex industry. And so they had that in Corinth. Here's what's also crazy about Corinth. They had this big, massive religion there, big, massive Greek and Roman religious practices where they would worship these Roman and Greek gods, specifically, mostly they worship Greek gods, and they would worship these gods, and they would use sex in the worship of these gods. And so one thing they would do, this is crazy, they would have a worship service to their god or their goddess, and in that worship service, they'd have a big meal, and when it was over, they would bring prostitutes in, and people could purchase the services of prostitutes. Okay, that was Corinth. This is a really bad place. So then what happens is the gospel comes to Corinth and God starts to save people in Corinth, but they don't know how to live their lives because they've only ever lived that way. They don't have the Bible. The only religious background they have is this crazy Corinthian background. And so this letter is from a, a missionary pastor named Paul, and he's writing them this letter and he's saying, let me explain to you how to live. And so he addresses things like promiscuity, sexual immorality, fornication, which means sex outside of marriage. He addresses sort of like the pornographic scene. He addresses things like homosexuality, same-sex relationships, prostitution. It's a heavy, heavy, heavy letter that he wrote to them. Then right in the middle of it, he's like, okay, and here's what marriage looks like. So he addresses marriage and talks about God's plan for marriage. And you need to understand what God's plan for marriage is. That's why we looked at that last night with Spencer. Because if you have a high view of marriage, then you'll desire to attain that and achieve that. 
And it's, it's a goal that you can set and work towards. Well, in Corinth, they didn't understand that. So what dudes would do is, like a man and a woman would get married. Women had no rights. So a man would marry a wife so that she would bear him babies. And he might marry, if he's wealthy, more than one wife. And they, those wives were there to just provide him with children. And then he would, he would fulfill sexual urges and gratification throughout the city with the city's prostitutes and sex uh, trade. And a lot of these women were sex slaves. And so there's a lot of similarities to what was going on there, to the, like the pornography industry today, or, or to the industry of sex trafficking today. It's a really dark place. So that's who he's writing to. So, so it's a pretty serious thing, isn't it? You, know, you see how serious it is that he would write this to them. So he's writing to these people that are living in this world where, where sex is really, really, really perverted outside of God's plan. And so when he writes to him, he's going to give three main ideas that line up. So that's what's going on in Corinth, but there's a lot of similarities with what's going on in Corinth, with what's going on in America today, and even particularly in middle schools and high schools in America, like in the teenage world. By a show of hands, no names, no identity, not talking about any person, but by a show of hands, how many of you in the last school year know of or maybe have even seen passed around your school a nude of someone that was part of your school does that happen at your school raise your hand if that's happened over half of you okay all right so so is this like is this similar to where we're at yeah when there's just this loose like expression of freedom where people are doing whatever they want to do just for their and here's what it comes down to they're doing it for their own gratification and what's gratification means mean it means fulfilling what i want to do with my body and so paul's writing to these people but he's writing to these people words that can really help us understand how to live in a, in a culture that's equally and similarly sexually perverse we live in a very sexually perverse society perverse what does that mean here's what perverse means god intends something for good satan twists it and uses it for evil god makes something beautiful satan twists it makes it look beautiful initially so that it, he might bring about ugliness. God makes something glorious. Satan tries to rob God of that glory. God makes something for our pleasure. Satan tries to use it against us. That's what perverse means. So when we say something's perverse, we're talking about God intends it one way and the world and Satan want to distort it and use it another way. We need to know God's intention for these things. And so these three things are huge. Three reasons that, and we're going to call this three reasons we need to take our bodies and what we do with them seriously. What you do with your body, you need to take that serious. Three reasons tonight why we need to take our bodies and what we do with our bodies seriously. And when I say bodies, I'm talking about my eyes, my mind, what goes into my brain. We now know, listen, scientists have now proven, and I'm not talking about Christians, I'm talking about secular, atheistic scientists have now done a, a high volume of studies where they can connect what goes on in the brain neurologically. Y'all know what neurologically means? Like the way your brain functions and the way the nerves work and the way the brain operates. They connect that to sexual experiences so that a person might become addicted to sexual experiences the same way a person becomes addicted to heroin or methamphetamine. Driving down the road recently with 
I've got, I've got five kids, and I've got one little, little small fellow. Y'all might see him run around. His name's Moses. He's barefooted all day today. He's crazy. He's psycho, and he needs Jesus. I tell people that every week because I want people to pray for Moses so he gets saved. All right, so Moses, I'm driving down the road, me and Moses and Juju, Moses' sister, and it's the, th- and it's the three of us, and I think, I think Laylee, my, my 13-year-old, was with us too. And I saw a dude, and he's walking straight smack dab down the middle of Main Street, Andrews, North Carolina. That's his little town right here. It's a tiny little town. He's walking right in front of Dollar General. If you're from a small rural town, Dollar General is Super Walmart. That's where it's at. McDonald's, Dollar General. That's where life happens in this town. And so he's, and we pull into Dollar General pick up something. I don't remember what we're getting. We're leaving. I see this dude. He's walking down Main Street. I know this cat. We've used him before. We had a bunch of tree work. Had to cut a bunch of trees down. We paid this, this crew and he was on that crew. I know this guy. He's walking down Main Street. It's the middle of winter. It's about 35 to 40 degrees. It's cold and it's pouring rain. And that cat's walking down the middle of the street in nothing but a pair of pants. That's all he's wearing. Barefooted, no shirt. And he's talking to himself and doing this Tarzan thing, hitting his chest. Walk right down Main, Main Street. I said, hey, y'all, watch this. And we pull over there. I said, I want to show y'all what drug addicts do. And I said, this is what drugs will do to you. Why is he doing that? They're like glued to the window. <laughs> Fascinating. I'm glued to the window. This drugs have taken control of his mind. He's had a conversation with a dude the week before. It's perfectly fine, but they've altered his mind. And scientists are telling us that the effect that drugs have on your mind that that make you want to come back for another high, because if you talk to a drug addict, maybe you've got a family member that, that deals with that type of addiction. I certainly have family members that do. Here's what they'll tell you. They go back to that drug because they want to recreate that high, that experience. Like the, where they go to this place of like euphoria. Y'all know what euphoria means? Like happiness like outside of reality. Well, the, the science tells us now that, that the way a person gets ad- addicted to a drug like that, a person gets addicted to sexual experiences. And so Satan wants to distort it and pervert it. Particularly, he wants to use pornographic images, and then he wants to personalize those pornographic images so that it's not just what you see in the porn industry and what they're feeding you through the Internet, but so that it hits close to home so that you start to see people you know in that way you start to desire and crave experiences with people you know in that way and you start to try to fill those desires and those cravings and so it starts with the mind it comes through the eyes it goes into the flesh and the body desires these things and hooks up with desires that god has put in you they're good desires the desire for sex is a beautiful good thing god created adam he was by himself God said, it is not good for a dude to be all by himself. That's a good preaching. You ever walk into a, a man's room that lives by himself in that room and you would say amen to that? I mean, that's a, like King Kong wouldn't live in that room. It's stanky. It smells bad. You don't want to go in that room. It's a bad place. I, if I lived alone, I would be a caveman. It's not good for men to be alone. All right, so... So God's like, it's not good. I made this dude. He's good. But I have this joke that's not biblical. It's bad. and It's not good truth. But I still like to say it because it's funny just to make the girls go, yeah. And the guy was like, this is good. I can do better. <laughs> and he made a girl. You know, like, like, so that's not really how it happened, but it's still a funny joke. All right, so 
So God makes Adam, and he's like, it's not good for him to be alone. So he makes Eve. He puts Adam to sleep. Watch this. And he breaks Adam's body open. And in this powerful, real, but symbolic act, he takes part of Adam's flesh out of him and forms the woman. What is the symbolism of that? The symbolism is this, that a man is to give of himself sacrificially for the woman that he would commit himself to. This is a foreshadowing to what Jesus would do. Jesus' body is broken for us so that he could bring us into relationship. Like healthy, godly, biblical relationships are forged in sacrifice, not in demands. So when someone is demanding from you something in a relationship just because they want it, that's not good. That's not a good relationship. Godly relationships are forged in sacrifice. And so God, he, he, he makes the woman, he wakes the man up, and the woman's standing there, and he presents her to him. And you know what the dude does? He sings a song. What does that tell us? It tells us he was caught in the moment, carried away emotionally, engaged in what God had created. This was God's idea. Sex is God's idea. Relationships are God's idea. God created us for relationship. So we need to know what this text is telling us about why we need to take our bodies and what we do with them seriously. Number one, we need to, we need to take it serious because we're free. The world's going to tell you you're free. God's saying, that's not true freedom. This is true freedom. We're going to unpack that in a minute. The second thing, we need to take our bodies and what we do with them seriously because we matter. You matter to God. Young lady, you matter to God. Young man, God cares about you. Like You matter to God. Number three, because we are bought by someone who gave all, all he could give to have us as his own. Jesus gave all he could give so that he might have us as his own. Those are the three big ideas. Let's unpack it. So we begin in verse 12 and we see reason number one. Let's break this down. Reason number one is right there in verse 12. And reason number one is we're free. We, can, we don't have to, we, like we could take what we do with our body serious, take what we do with our minds serious because we're free to do that. Why do we say that? Well, he says there in verse 12, all things are lawful for me. Why would he say that? Well, because that's what the world was saying in those days. Does that sound similar to the, the world saying it? Here's what, here's what that means. The world was saying, the people in Corinth were saying, I can do whatever I want to. It's, who's, who can tell me what I can do with my body? It's my body. I can do what I want to with it. Does that sound like what the world's saying today? Yeah, big time. Like, I can do whatever I want to with my body. It's my body. You keep your laws off my body. You keep your hands off my body. You keep your ideas off my body. That's what the world says. So the world would say, it's my body. I, if I want to do this with my body, I can do this with my body. And the world's trying to say, that's freedom. That's freedom to do what you want to with your body. Let me tell you what, what Scripture says is true freedom is understanding what Christ has given you and what you don't have to submit to with your body. This is the way they did things back then. It's the way they taught, kind of the way people do things today. A normal way of addressing sexuality and sexual practice is to just act like it's my body and I can do whatever I want to with it. Abortion, pornography, uh, using your sec uh, social media outlet for sexual activity, premarital sexual activity, adultery, casual sex, making out, filling and touching one another's bodies, groping each other, putting my hands in somebody's pants, up their shirt, doing things like that. People say, yeah, man, who are you hurt? That's your deal. It's, you can do that what you want to, whatever, it's your body. And this text is telling us 
Okay, wait, 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 wait. You say, it's okay for me to do this because everything, it's, it's my call. What does he say next? Watch this. Talking about true freedom. What does he say next? But not all things are helpful. He's like, okay, do you have the freedom to do with your body what you want to? Sure, you do. Listen to me, young people. I want to tell you the truth. You can do whatever you want to with your body. You've got, there, there is certain freedom that you've been given in your will, in your mind, in your conscience. Now, you may have to sneak to do it because your mama might beat you with a fly swatter if she finds out you're doing it at the house, right? But you can sneak around. You can do, you can get away with what you want to get away with. He's like, yeah, okay, all right, I'll give you that. All that, those, those things I just read off a while ago that sounded kind of shocking, and you're like, ooh, the preacher just said that? Can the preacher say that? He can, yes, he can. I'm grown. And I love you, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to say things that a lot of people ain't going to say in church because you need to hear it. And your leaders brought you here because they knew <laughs> they knew to get said. I can guarantee you that. I can do whatever I want to. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. But is it helpful? What is, he, what is he saying here? He's saying, what are the consequences of my actions? How does this help me? How is this going to grow me as a person? How is this going to make me stronger, more secure in who I am? Because I'll tell you this, like sex outside of God's plan doesn't make a person stronger. It makes a person weaker. It tears a person down. It creates, like literally, it creates a, a loss of identity. It creates guilt. It creates shame. We're going to get to how we deal with the shame and the guilt in a minute. It's actually very beautiful. Not all things are helpful. Additionally, when a person is using another person to fulfill sexual pleasure outside of marriage, that person is acting selfishly. So ladies, when a dude is telling you, and if I hear this story one more time coming out of the high school my kids go to, I'm going to lose my mind. If a dude is telling you to send him a nude photo of yourself on the phone, just know this, he is acting selfishly, he cannot stand you, he despises you to put you in that situation. What's he going to do with that? He's going to show everybody, because he's a champion, he convinced you to do that. He's the man, just show it off to his friends, and 500 people are going to see it before, before lunch today at school, or before everybody goes to bed tonight, it's y'all know what I'm talking about, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. And he, what is he doing? He's acting selfishly. All things are lawful. Yeah, you can do that. But are all things helpful? No, that's not helpful for you. It's not helpful for you. It's a lie. If a person really cares about another person, he or she will commit to a long-lasting relationship and will not cheapen it by letting lust drive the moment. Ladies, if a man really cares about you, he will work for you. He will wait for you. He will honor you. He will respect you. He will guard your purity. He will guard your reputation so that he can show you by his actions that you are worth waiting for because you were created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. That's what he'll do. That's what love looks like. Not all things are helpful. But then look what he says at the end of verse 12. I will not be dominated by anything. This is true freedom. So we said, number one, we're free. We're free not to listen to the world's sexual revolution, the world's like explanation of how to enjoy sex. We're free to, we're free to do what God has called us to do. And he says, I'm not going to be dominated by anything. So he's saying, I'm, like, as a Christian, you don't have to let the world and its demands dominate and control your sexuality. You don't have to let other people dominate and control that. 
Surrender that to Jesus. You can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus totally. And so we're free. We're free. Jesus has given us sex as an amazing experience inside of marriage. And it's very fulfilling that way. When we practice it the world's way, it becomes slavery and dominion and domination. And it brings pain and scarring and consequences. Whew, let's take a break. Y'all with me? You know I love you? I don't know you love me. I don't even know who you are, dude. You're some dude, scary man on the stage yelling and you're big and I'm scared. Okay, I love you, man. I, like, I, I care about you. I want to tell you the truth. Because there's a lot of us in here, adults and even some teenagers, that, that didn't hear this or maybe we heard it and we chose to go a different route and we know the pain that comes with that. And I know the joy of being married to my wife for 25 years. I'll tell you that. And it's way better than any experience I had as a teenager not doing things God's way. I can tell you that. 25 years. That's good stuff. That's a long time. Listen to this. Verse 13 through 16 gives us the second reason. The second reason is we matter to Jesus. Okay, I'm going to lighten up on you now, okay? Now we're going to, now we're going to be encouraging and loving. And this is beautiful. Jesus loves you. You matter to him. You're like, I don't like my nose. I don't like how tall I am. I don't like how short I am. That one cat's real tall. Where you at, dude? Where's that one dude? He's like nine feet tall. How tall are you, six, eight? Six. And you don't even play basketball, do you? People ask you that all the time. What are you doing? So I told my wife today, I was like, you don't play basketball. She's like, how do you know? I was like, because he's here, and they would have had a game last night. <laughs> what are you into? Music? Football? That'll do. Six six. Were you Trevor Lawrence or what? I don't, not bad. Like some people are like, I wish I was taller. Sorry, you can't. I don't know what to tell you, man. I get you some, get you some real long pants, hide some stilts under them things, and walk around like this. You know, like, whoo, look, I'm six six, like my man. You know. Nope. Some of you are like, some of you are gonna be. We got a gal on staff here, Mary Elizabeth. Her mama's Mary Elizabeth. How how tall is your mama? Four nine. Oh, she's not here. How, does anybody know how tall her mom is? 4'9", 4'10"? Something like that. I think that's like legally you can get scholarships. <laughs> I'm not being funny. Like, it is funny, but I'm not being, like, I'm serious. So like, like Mary Elizabeth, mama can't go to bed at night and be like, grow, 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 grow. Like, you don't do that when you're 45. You know? Although my brother, when we grow up, my brother, every night, I'd be going to bed, my mama coming there and, we had bunk beds. My mama come in there and pray over us. She'd say, what you boys want to pray about? And my brother say, pray that I get to 6'4". And I remember I used to, I used to think, ah, whatever. <laughs> you know, that sucker 6'4". Like, he grew to 6'4", and it stopped growing. Prayed that every night all the way through elementary school and middle school. So far, I was like, man, I should have prayed 6'6". Would have been a good one. I'm going to throw that up. 6'6", <laughs> please. All right. Okay, so. So like you could like you could be like I don't like the way my eyes look so you get colored lenses, but then at night you take them things out and then they right you know what I'm saying like we can be like dissatisfied with certain things, about, but here's the bottom line Jesus made you the way He made you and He likes you like that, like He's down with the tone of your skin the texture of your hair. He's he's cool with who you are now He doesn't want to leave you spiritually the way you are He wants to grow you and conform you more into his image and shape you into the person he wants you to be. But he's cool with you like you are, man. You matter to Jesus. 
If it's cool to matter to anybody, matter to Jesus. And know that you do. That's powerful value for a person. Like, what happens is people buy the lie that if, if I perform sexually in a certain way for this person, then I'll matter to that person. When Jesus is saying, no, no, you don't have to do anything to matter to me. I came to die for your sin. You matter to me. I love you. Over and over and over in Scripture, we see Jesus interact with people like that. It's beautiful. So powerful, man. There's this one scene. This lady, she was like, literally like a prostitute. And Jesus goes to her and he gives her value and he heals her and he forgives her sin and he cleanses her from unrighteousness and he saves her. It's beautiful. Because you matter to Jesus. That's a pretty cool deal. But the lie that people believe was that, and this is in, in Corinth, was that like, this is kind of crazy. They would, they would go, okay, they would separate body and, and, and like the physical and the soul, or the physical and the spiritual. So they would, it would go like this, I can do whatever I want to with my body, and then I can pray to Jesus, read the Bible, sing worship songs and raise my hand. And then I can go do whatever I want to in my body. So they kind of, they had this idea that you were like, there was a physical you and there was a spiritual you. And as long as the spiritual you was cool with God, then the physical you could do whatever you wanted to do. And we don't have it exactly that way in our society, but people do behave that way. We see that all the time where people are like, I go to church. I, like, like, I, I believe in God. I, like, I'm, but, but I want to experience life in this world and I want to have like, I want to have a good time and I was talking to this dude one time. He was, trying to, he was trying to get me to smoke some weed with him. I was grown. I was probably, I mean, I wasn't a little kid. I was probably like, I was married. and I was probably 25 years old and 26. I mean, maybe even after I already had a kid or two. I don't remember. But I, this guy, I was trying to talk to him about Jesus. And he, and, and he says, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I love Jesus, man. I love Jesus. He, and then I started to realize, this cat's high like right now. And so he starts trying to get me to light one up with him. He's like, we were, we were, uh, he was a river guide and I was guiding whitewater rafting and, and I was working a trip with this guy. We'd gotten back to the outpost and we're kind of around on the tailgate of his truck, changing clothes. I'm going to go home. And he's like, Hey man, you want to, you want to roll one? You want to burn one? And I was like, no, I want to go see my wife and have a supper at my kitchen table. Like a normal grown man should do at this hour of the day, you know? And so I started sharing the gospel with him. I was like, man, you know, Jesus loves you, man. You matter to Jesus. Jesus cares about you. All you, and he's like, yeah, man, I love Jesus too, man. You need Jesus, but you know, you need some other stuff too. I was like, like, apparently that joint. Okay. So that's a common thing where people think, yeah, I need Jesus and I need some other things. And so Jesus sort of becomes one of the things in your life that you need, but you mix it up with everything else. Let me me read you a crazy story that I read in my quiet time this morning. All right. Second Kings. People were crazy in the old days. Second Kings, man. People were like, chopping each other up and i read uh i'm not even gonna tell you the one thing i read even though it's in the bible but it was graphic this morning i had to stop and like take some deep breaths okay and so this is in second Kings 17 verse 31 through 34 so i'm just reading along you ever be reading your bible along and i try to read my bible a good bit every day just spend time in the word let it renew my mind and so i'm reading along and all of a sudden you'll read across something you'll go say what i don't remember that being in there okay that happened to me a bunch this morning. And this was one. It's talking about these people, this group of people. I forget. They were, it was part of the Israelites. Um, and something in Assyrians. Some people a long time ago. All right, here's what it said. They also feared the Lord. 
Jesus. They feared the Lord. Oh, that's good. That's good. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. And appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord. So they feared the Lord. They got preachers and pastors and they built churches and and worship services. They feared the Lord. But also served their own gods. Okay, time out. There's this thing called the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've heard of it. Remember that one? (laughs) One of them is, you shall have no other gods before me. And throughout history, God would tell us, serve me, worship me, and me alone. There's no other God but me. Don't worship anybody else. They're like, yeah, we worship you. Yeah, go God. We fear you. You're the man. We love Jesus. And they would pray to these other gods. After the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. Who are they worshiping? Who are these other gods? Well, it's the gods of the culture and the society around them. Sound familiar? Yeah. In our society, it's not like gods like that, but people are like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then we worship sex and we worship experience and pleasure. It's really similar in our day. Okay, now watch this. To this day, they do, they do according to the former manner. That means they still, they're still acting like that. So when this guy wrote this, it was, it was several years later. And he's like, those folks are still acting like that. But now, he said, they don't fear the Lord. And they don't follow the statutes or the rules of the Lord God and his commandments. So he says, these people, they used to like worship God and worship what the world offered. And they were trying to do both. And he said, and then they quit worshiping God and just started worshiping the world. Because that's what happens. When you try to hold to Jesus and hold to the world, guess what you'll let go of every time? Jesus. Here's why. Because you don't hold to Jesus before he holds to you. And so your job and my job is to submit to him, trust in him, rest in him, let him hold you because you matter to him. And you don't matter to the world. The world don't care about you. People don't care about you. Jesus does. He cares about me. And so these people were kind of like serving God. And and so what happened is they got swept away into the world's lives. So back to our text in 1 Corinthians 6, in verses 15 and 16, Paul tells us what we know to be true, namely that something huge happens between two people who are sexually active with one another. It's not just like in that moment something physical happens, but something much larger than the physical act is taking place. He uses some powerful words. Let me read that again in verses 15 and 16. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then make the members of Christ, take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. So, a couple of things that can happen when two people sexually engage with one another. One of three things is going to happen. Either they're going to love each other as they've never loved each other before. This is what happens in marriage. When two people wait to to do this, and they get married, and they come together in a marriage union of sex, there's a deepening of the bond, and it is a sacred, holy, godly bond. It's beautiful. This is why God puts Adam and Eve together, and he says, this is good. Sex between these two people is a good thing. So the first thing that can happen when two people come together is their souls are knit together And that knitting of those two souls when they are committed to one another for life gives them joy and pleasure and satisfaction. And the love grows stronger. It grows stronger. Second thing that can happen is that they then resent each other. 
See, this happened a lot where two people get together, they hook up, and when they're done having this sexual experience, now they don't want to be around that person. Use that person and leave that person. Have you seen that happen? Man, that's painful. That happens a lot. It's painful. So either, God's way, stronger bond, or, now I'm done with that. Been there, done that. I'm done with that. Or the third thing, one person grows in love more deeply, and the other person grows in resentment and pulls away. So a, a combination of the two things. One person, typically the girl who gives herself to, the, to this boy in this sexual union, then commits herself to him and grows in her love for him. But more times than not, the boy treats her like a trophy and goes, okay, no, uh, no, no, no. I don't want to commit or anything like that. I'm done. And you'll see one person become very, like, attached and then the other person, resentful, goes away. And what tends to happen is the person that feels abandoned will then repeat, begin to repeat the cycle and will begin to experience multiple partners to try to fill that, that love need. That happens a lot. See, it happens a lot with young people and old people. So sex doesn't ever leave two people unchanged. Sex changes you. Lewis Smeeds, that's the dude's name, Lewis Smeeds. <laughs> That's a good name. Lewis Smeads, this cat wrote a book called Sex for Christians. <laughs> Sounds exciting, doesn't it? 1994, he wrote this. He breaks it down and says this. Sexual intercourse is a life-unifying act. It unifies two people, soul and body. What Paul is saying in our text right here is that when you engage in sex... You cannot only do it with your body and still guard your heart and soul. In other words, you can't engage in it physically and disassociate and separate from it emotionally and spiritually. When you engage physically, whether you like it or not, your soul, your spirit, your emotions are, are going to be affected. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 6. So what's the answer to that? To know that we matter to God both body and soul. That he intends for you to have value both physically and spiritually and emotionally and psychologically. And God alone through Jesus and his Holy Spirit and the power of his word can heal you from sexual addiction or anxiety or depression or a lack of confidence in who you are or the feeling of being unloved. Because you matter to God. That's the second big takeaway. You matter to God. And the third and final one is this. It's down in verses 19 and 20. The third reason we're to obey Jesus and his plan for us is that we were bought by him with a price. And that price is his own life. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Jesus died for you. There's a story in the Old Testament of a man named Hosea. That's a powerful story. And God tells Hosea as a symbolic act to show the people what God's undying love for them looks like. He tells Hosea to go marry a woman who was a prostitute. So Hosea marries this woman. And he marries her and he gives himself to love her. He gives himself fully to her. But she runs away from him and goes back to her former lifestyle. And in that lifestyle, she becomes enslaved as a prostitute and she gets sold into sexual slavery. And one day she's standing completely naked, unclothed on the auction block in a sex slave trafficking industry in a city that was vile and perverse. And she's standing there to be sold to the next person. And as she stands there, she hears a guy from somewhere in the back make his first bid. I'll give five shekels. That was the kind of money that they used back then. She's like, I recognize that voice. I 
recognize that voice. And the bidding continues. I'll give ten shekels. She hears it. I know. I think I know. I think that's my former husband. And somebody says 11. Somebody says 12. And somebody says 13. And it gets to 15. And he says, I'll give 15 shekels. And the problem is that's all the money he's got. He has nothing else to give. So he starts bartering. He's like, I can give some, some, some of my crops. I can give some wheat and some barley. I'll do whatever. I'll give everything I've got to buy this woman back to free her from this slavery that she's in. And it's the most beautiful, powerful picture of love I've ever seen in my life. And he buys his wife back from the people she had sold herself to. And it's so beautiful because it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Where Jesus left the glorious throne of heaven, came into the world, and, and, and he bought us from slavery to sin. And I want to tell you tonight that if you're here and you've made sexual decisions already that you feel guilt and condemnation and consequences and shame over, Maybe you can imagine hearing the voice of Jesus. I'm buying you back. I'm redeeming you from that sin. Maybe you're here tonight and you've made those choices and you don't care because you're rebellious and hard-hearted and you're just here because somebody invited you. But tonight, Jesus is waking you out of that rebellious slumber and he's saying, I've bought you with a price because you matter to me and I'll set you free. From dominion and slavery to sin not your own bought with the price just like hosea bought his wife back it's a powerful scene in scripture one of the most powerful scenes maybe in all the bible and he brings her home and he clothes her he bathes her he gives her a bed brings her to the table and feeds her and says stay with me and i'll provide for you i wasn't able to sit in the men's session this morning because I was here, I wanted to be up here close by in case Kilby needed me for anything and just praying for her. It's the first time she shared that with a group of ladies. Pretty cool. But she kept using this one word. I don't know if you caught it. Redeemed. Redeemed. Did y'all catch that, ladies? Redeemed. Redeemed. You know what it means? It means God takes something that's broken and damaged and devastated and destroyed and he brings it out of that destruction and he cleans it and he gives it value. So that past sexual sin, like in Kilby's case, which was a pornographic addiction, can now have value as God draws her deeper into relationship with himself and he purifies and, purifies and cleanses her from unrighteousness, just like he'll do for you, just like he'll do for me. And I don't know if some, some of you might tonight be in a situation where, man, you're like, you're like Hosea's wife. You've walked away from what you know to be true and you've stepped into slavery and bondage to sexual dominion it could be with a boyfriend or girlfriend it could be with multiple partners it could be in a in a, in a, in a same-sex relationship it could be a porn addiction but jesus is saying to you tonight i will buy you back from that with my own blood i've already bought you with a price the price of your value is not 15 shekels in a bucket of wheat like hosea paid for his wife the price and value of your life is the very blood and life of the son of god who died in your place so that you could be set free. Isn't that beautiful? And I've been long-winded tonight, but can I tell you one more story? You've been so good, and you're hanging in there. Can I tell you one more story from Scripture? Okay. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 16 tells us about the Old Testament Day of Atonement. 
It's a beautiful day. This long before Jesus came into the world. And it's a day that foreshadows what Jesus would one day do. And on the Day of Atonement, what they would do is all the people would gather together. And they would bring out two goats. And I used to have this, I've had a bunch of goats and cows and horses. I'm a hillbilly. I had this goat, I used to have this goat named Mabel. Was, that, was our goat Mabel or was y'all's, Emma? Laylee, what was that goat? We had Delilah, Mabel and Delilah. <laughs> Beautiful ladies. <laughs> I'll tell you one funny goat story. This is a story inside another story. All right, so I'm hitting pause on the sermon. Me and my wife, me and little, my wife's girl plays drums, all right? Me and my wife, one time we went, we bought this goat off, his, off these people, and we had this girl at work for her. She lived with us. She's Kilby's godmother, she lived with us for years. Her name's Lou, and she was as country as cornbread, man. And she goes, like, she could outwork any man I knew. She, wrote, she was a rodeo girl, and she's tough as nails. And so we had to go get this goat. Well, all we had, I remember we didn't have horse trailer. We, we, I think we were somewhere, we were in the truck, and we're like, here's a really good deal on this goat. Was, we knew, we, it was a big old billy goat. It had big old horns, came out and curled around like this. And this guy's like, I'll give you this goat if you'll just take it. Somebody we rodeoed with, and, I, and we're like, oh, yeah, we'll take it. So we're like, well, we, how are we going to get it home? Lou's like, I'll sit in the back of the truck and hold it. <laughs> you might be a redneck. You see people driving down the road, somebody's in the back of a truck holding a goat. That's a, that's a funny day right there. Just soak it up. I know what y'all be doing, videoing it. <laughs> that, like, that's going on somebody's story, right? And so... So we're driving down the road. Y'all, I almost wet my pants and crashed the truck because I looked in the rearview mirror and Lou is down on the ground and that goat was assaulting her. He thought she was a girl goat. He did not understand God's plan for biblical marriage. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Woo! And I had to pull over. She was yelling, get this goat off of me. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was awesome. <laughs> Sorry, so back into real time, okay? <laughs> so... So anyway, we had these two goats, Mabel and Delilah, and one night I was like, so we have these coyotes. Y'all know what coyotes are? These coyotes kept coming and eating our chickens, and I was trying to kill them. I couldn't kill them. I couldn't ever get up with them. And now we have one of those big Pyrenees dogs. We have two Pyrenees dogs. The coyotes don't come around. Them dogs are bad to the bone, and they're, they're great. But we didn't have dogs then, and so chickens kept dying. So I was like, we got to, we got, we got to get the coyotes in. So I took Delilah and staked her down in the middle of a field and put a coyote collar right underneath her. This sounded like a deer in distress. And I backed up into the woods with the remote and hit that thing, and it's right under, and it starts going, wah, 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 wah. and Delilah's jumping up and down and flailing. Well, coyotes like the sound of something in distress, and they like to see something flailing. They'll come in for the kill. That's what you call live bait. Anybody following the story? That's a good story. There's some coyotes died that night. Delilah has never been the same. We had to give her away. She didn't recover. <laughs> she never recovered from that event, okay? <laughs> but anyway, all right. So on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus, they bring one goat in, and they would take that goat, and that goat was a sacrificial goat. Now watch, this is very powerful. The priest, in a very symbolic act, he would take the sin of the people, People had committed sexual sin. People committed grievous wrongs against the Lord and against their own bodies. And symbolically, the people confessed the sin. And the priest would take the sin, and he would lay it on the head of that goat, and then they would kill that goat. What were they doing? They were symbolically 
laying the sin on the goat, and the goat was bearing the penalty for the sin. Man, that's intense. But watch this. They would take a second goat. Okay? Take a second goat. Because the people at this point are going, I feel relieved because, because my sin has been dealt with. God's freed me from my sin, but, I, but boy, that's weighty. Seeing that goat die and feeling the weight of my sin, putting that animal to death. It was heavy. It made the people feel guilty sometimes. It was a foreshadowing what Jesus would do. They'd take the second goat, and the priest would lay his hands on that goat and again lay the sin of the people on that goat. And they would take a noble man selected by God who would take that goat on a rope and he would walk that goat miles and miles, a certain distance and time, into the wilderness, far from humanity, far into the wilderness, out into the mountains, into the desert, far from the camp. And he would release the goat and push it away, and he would turn and walk home. And that goat would never be seen again. And you know what it symbolized? It symbolized that God was taking the sin of the people and carrying it far away into forgetfulness so that people never had to remember their sin and feel guilty over it again. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus did both those things. He laid on the cross, our sin was laid on him, and he died eliminating the need for the first goat to ever have to be killed again. But then he went into the grave, came out of the grave, and ascended into heaven, and took our sin away from us so that we don't have to feel the guilt and shame that tends to drive us into depression, drive us into anxiety, or drive us back into the same cycle of sin. He frees us from it. And I'm telling you, man, as someone who's been freed from that, it'll change your life. And if you're here tonight and you feel the guilt and weight of that, just know this, Jesus will set you free. And you can live submitting your body to Christ, knowing that you're free and you matter to Jesus. And he bought you with the price. That's how much you matter to him. And he set you free from sin. Amen? Isn't that good? It's the power of the gospel. I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing a song of worship. And here's what I want you to know going into share groups tonight. The floor is open. Nothing sacred tonight. Unload your soul in share groups if you need to. If you need to go to your student pastor, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, your student pastor, our staff, will walk you through what that looks like. If you're dealing with the guilt of sin, give it to Jesus tonight. Lay it on Christ and let him carry it away into the wilderness. And recognize what he's done for you. Amen? I'll pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. For these students that are here tonight, these leaders even maybe mamas and daddies that still deal with the guilt. I know for me, I struggle sometimes with the guilt of sin committed 30 years ago. 30 years! How would I still live under that bondage? Sometimes we don't forgive ourselves, even though you forgive us. I pray tonight you'd set people free from self-condemnation and guilt and shame. And I pray you'd give us gospel biblical lenses and goggles to see the world through so that we wouldn't let the world decide for us what sexuality is supposed to be but that we do this your way and know that one day when we're in a godly biblical marriage with a godly man or woman, we can glorify you and enjoy all the goodness of sexuality that, as you've intended it to be enjoyed. Tonight I pray for a young man or young woman here that doesn't know you. you draw them to yourself. Remove the veil from their eyes. Let them see the gospel for what it is, the power that saves, 
surrender to you. If there's a young man or young woman here tonight living in bondage to sexual sin, I pray you'd set them free, give them freedom from it tonight. I pray that all these students would understand that they matter, they've been bought with a price, they'd glorify you in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.